If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Matthew 3. You guys ready to dig in the Word this morning? Uh, Matthew chapter 3, King Jesus uh, series. Uh, we are going chapter by chapter. Uh, my encouragement to you is bring your Bible to church. Uh, my encouragement to you is uh, this week be reading Matthew chapter 4 because we're going to engage Matthew 4 next week. And so uh, be digging, uh, be reading, be asking questions, be looking for themes. Come ready to engage if you've been studying in your own journey uh, throughout the week. So we're in Matthew uh, 3 today. It's really uh, two big realities, two big observations that we'll make uh, in our time together in Matthew 3. Uh, it's, uh, there's really the story, the ministry of John the Baptist. I like to call him J the B or JTB. We want to distinguish John the Baptist from the apostle John who wrote the gospel of John. Uh, and I just want to make some observations about John the Baptist, some contextual things about his life and his ministry. So we'll do that. And then at the end of Matthew 3 is the baptism of Jesus. And we'll make some observations about that as well. So uh, first point of the morning, some observations about J the B. Uh, and these are things that you're probably, many of you probably already know. Uh, there may be some new things that you'll learn in this this morning. I'll make uh, three initial comments and then I'll make a fourth one uh, in here in just a few minutes. Um, first thing we know about John the Baptist is that his birth was miraculous. If you wanna connect the birth of John the Baptist with an Old Testament famous story, um, it mirrors Abraham and Sarah. Anybody know how old Abraham, Bible trivia, uh, anybody know how old Abraham was when he and his wife Sarah had Isaac? No, but it was in the hundreds, 100 years old. And so miraculous birth of Isaac, and they laughed when, they, when the Lord told them that they were gonna have a son, they laughed. Same thing happens with John the Baptist. Elderly parents, uh, Elizabeth and his father is, anybody know, Bible trivia? Zechariah, right? Zechariah, we know this from Luke 1, was also kind of laughing. He was incredulous about the fact that he was going to have a son at such an old age. Here's what the angel Gabriel told Zechariah about his son, John. This is in Luke 1. He will be great. John the Baptist, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit and he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord. He will be a herald to Messiah. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. We'll talk about that connection between John the Baptist and Elijah in just a moment to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He was so popular. John the Baptist was so popular in the region of Judea. People were coming, and we'll see this in the passage, from all over Judea, Galilee, the region of the Jordan. He was so popular that many, many people thought he actually was the one. He was the Messiah. He was so popular among the people. Uh, his birth was miraculous. His relation to Jesus, second context, they were cousins. Uh, John was related to Jesus in this way. Mary uh, and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, were cousins. We also see this in Luke 1. Gabriel told Mary that she would give birth to Jesus, and Gabriel also told Mary about uh, her cousin Elizabeth being pregnant with John. 
And when Mary was carrying Jesus in her womb, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth and John leaps in his mother's womb because he was in the very presence of the Messiah, Jesus, who he had been called to be a herald for preparing the way for people to know Jesus and be saved. Uh, His adult ministry, like the prophets of old, Here's some important context to understand about the coming of John the Baptist. At the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the Gospels was about 400 years. And the prophetic voice of God through prophets of old to the people had become silent for over 400 years. And so John the Baptist was the first prophet in so many years. God's silence, his silence through prophetic voices was coming to an end with John. And the emergence of John was like a loud shout from God after the silence. And he was proclaiming Messiah, Savior to people who desperately needed a Savior. Um, We talked about this in Matthew chapter one and in Matthew chapter two, right? Contextual of Matthew. Matthew was Jewish and he wrote his gospel to convince his Jewish people that Jesus was the Messiah. And almost every single page of the gospel of Matthew, you find the word fulfillment. Well, John the Baptist was also a fulfillment of scripture. We'll see this scripture in Matthew three today. 700 years previous, through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 40, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the wilderness, in the wilderness, a highway for our God. We'll read in uh, our passage this morning that he, that John the Baptist was living this like rugged life in the mountainous area of Judea. And if we have um, that map we could pull up, he's ministering in, in the region of Judea of Israel. Jericho to the east, there's the Jordan River down to the Dead Sea. And he was a bit of a wild man, right? John the Baptist, we've heard these stories about uh, John the Baptist living in this mountain, mountainous area, uh, wearing uh, camel hair for his clothing. His diet was um, pretty awesome, just like honey and locusts, just like get a locust, dip it in some honey and throw down on that. Uh, and so he's a bit of a wild man, rugged, uh, he's out there, and, and it's specific, I think it's specific for us to connect Elijah to John the Baptist, knowing that he is one of the prophets of old and that the prophecies had been silent for years. And so uh, there's so many similarities between John the Baptist and Elijah, even to the degree of what they look like and what they wore and how they ministered. Uh, the greatest of the prophets was Elijah. Why do we say that? Well, at the transfiguration of Christ, that we'll get there down the road in Matthew 17, Jesus is transformed, right? And there were two other people that were there from the old covenant era, Bible trivia. One of them was Elijah. Anybody know who the other one was? Moses. Moses, who represents the old covenant law, and Elijah, who represented the prophets. And so there's a connection between, Mo, between Elijah and John the Baptist. Uh, The prophets Elijah and John the Baptist were so saturated with the very presence of God and the promises of God and the truth of God, it empowered them to have huge amounts of courage in the face of opposition. If you know the story of Elijah, he denounced uh, Ahab the king and Jezebel. And then of course, John the Baptist was unafraid to confront King Herod. 
uh, in his ministry, uh, courageous prophets. Um, let's, let's just start reading. I'll, I'll give you the fourth point in just a minute. Um, let's read Matthew 3, 1 to 6 uh, together, uh, and then we'll begin to unpack the story. So Matthew 3, 1 to 6. In those days, uh, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea. And he was saying, this was the message. This was the message of John the Baptist. Very simple message, repent. So in our Untangling Legalism series, the word repent simply means what? Change your mind, change your mind. Repent, change your mind for the kingdom of heaven is near. That was the message of John the Baptist. And then right after that, we see the ministry of John the Baptist. The ministry of John the Baptist is baptism of repentance. So his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Again, 700 years prior, Isaiah 40, the voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Connection to Elijah, verse four, John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. And people, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, the entire city of Jerusalem, all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, speaking of the Jordan River. And here's what they were doing. The people were confessing their sins and they were baptized by John in the Jordan River. Uh, we'll pause there for just a moment. John was preparing the way for Jesus for people who humbled themselves to repent. He was preparing the way for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He was the herald going before for people who would humble themselves and repent. A king in this culture, if a king was coming to your community, your town, your city, there was always a messenger that went before the king. And the messenger was telling people, the king is coming, prepare for the king. And so John was that herald of not an earthly king, but a spiritual king of kings and Lord of lords. And so that was his ministry. That was his prophetic ministry was to proclaim and prepare people to meet Jesus. Again, his message, simple and direct, repent, change your mind, the kingdom of heaven is near, and again, his ministry was baptism. Uh, John's ministry of baptism, the baptism of repentance was simply this, uh, confess, admit your sin. Admit that you are in a place where you need salvation in Jesus. And the humble, the humble were acknowledging it. And they were coming from all over the place and they were acknowledging their need for grace. But here's the reality in the story. Uh, we'll keep reading. There were two different groups of people that were responding to the ministry of John the Baptist. One was many people who were coming from all of Judea, all Jerusalem, the whole region were coming and they were admitting their need of a savior. They were admitting their need to be forgiven and he was baptizing them. But there were many others that were coming from Jerusalem who refused to come down to the Jordan River and to be baptized, and those were the religious leaders of the day. People that, I'm not, getting, I'm not getting in this water, I don't have anything to confess, 
there was a pride element to the religious leadership, a self-righteousness, if you will, that caused them to stay out of the water. And to those people, to those religious people, to those who are unwilling to humble themselves and repent and acknowledge their need of a savior, John the Baptist had really, really strong words. We see this in the next few verses, uh, verses seven to 12. So all these people are coming, all these people confessing their sins, being baptized in Jordan River, verse seven. But when, when John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, here's what he said to them. You brood of vipers. I've been in ministry um, full time for 20 years. I've never called someone a brood of vipers before. But John the Baptist obviously is not, is not messing around here. And then he says to the religious leaders, again, those who pridefully would not acknowledge their need for repentance and salvation and forgiveness, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath or the coming justice of God? Produce fruit in keeping with, repent, with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. As I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I don't think that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were enjoying this message from John the Baptist. I don't think they were receiving it very well. He continues, I baptize, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me, speaking of Jesus the Messiah, will come the one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit or I'm not worthy to even carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And an agricultural illustration that I'll explain in just a minute. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Um, brood of vipers, you are snakes. You are religious, arrogant, prideful snakes. And I am warning you, I am warning you, religious leaders of Jerusalem, to be warned of the coming justice of God. And he uses this agricultural analogy uh, that was very common in ancient times. And in Israel was a very agricultural uh, place. And so this, this imagery would have been so easy for anybody listening to just grab onto right away. This biblical imagery separating a worthless chaff from valuable grain was a ready symbol for what Jesus was doing in separating uh, the prideful from the humble. Uh, from those who were, who were willing to acknowledge, to repent and call upon the name of Jesus for salvation and those who were obstinate to stand against any need of uh, God to rescue them. Um, just know this, uh, what John the Baptist is doing here with these religious leaders who were standing there at the Jordan full of judgment toward John the Baptist and all the people who were coming to be baptized, uh, it just didn't happen. 
It wasn't a regular occurrence for anyone to address these Jewish leaders the way John the Baptist was addressing them, religious or otherwise, because of fear of punishment. I mean, you, you stand up to the religious leadership of the day, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and you will pay for it. Let's just think about the cross of Jesus. Who, who sent Jesus to be crucified? The Pharisees themselves. And John the Baptist, so full of the Holy Spirit, is coming against these Jewish leaders and calling them a brood of vipers. His faith made him fearless in the face of opposition. I wanna invite you to consider a visual of John the Baptist that I really hadn't uh, really even thought of in my life until this past week. And we think about John the Baptist um, really kind of ruthlessly calling out people's sin. I mean, he was calling out people's need to repent and confess and come and be baptized. And so um, I think there's a reality for us where we could, we, we could almost imagine as if the old covenant law had come to life in John the Baptist. Like he was a representation of the old covenant law ruthlessly calling out the sin in people's lives so that they would repent and call on their need of a savior in Jesus, um, which is what the law does. That's what the law does is it helps us understand our need for a savior. And if we could go back for just a minute to, uh, to our Galatians series, which we did back in the spring, let me remind you of a couple of verses about the law. Why do we even have the old covenant law? What was the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry to begin with? Verse 19, uh, Galatians 3, Paul says, why then was the law the Mosaic law given at all? What's the purpose of the old covenant law to begin with? And he answers it this way. It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The promise referred is the promise to Abraham that he would be father Abraham and that he would have more seeds, more people in his family than all the stars in the sky. He was blessed to be a, a blessing and the promise of Abraham is not just to the Jewish people or the Hebrew people, but to all nations. And the seed, the promised seed that Paul talks about in verse 19 is Jesus to whom the promise had referred. And so he says this in verse 19. And I think the really important thing to grab onto in verse 24 is this. The law has become our guardian. Here's the purpose of the law. To lead you to Jesus. That's the beauty and the glory of the old covenant law is to lead us to Jesus, our Savior, so that we may be justified, not by our works, but by our faith in Jesus. Um, there is no gospel of grace without an understanding of the old covenant of law. There is no celebration of the amazing grace of God if we don't understand our need for the unmerited favor of God on our behalf, knowing that we cannot earn salvation by our own doing according to the law. John, a manifestation of the law, his ministry to lead people to Jesus. Purpose of the law, Galatians chapter three, lead people to Jesus. And I just, I just believe this, you can't get to amazing grace unless you know what we have been rescued from, amen? 
If we understand what we've been rescued from, we, we truly, we, we get captured by the amazing grace that Jesus has given to us. Okay, one more point on John. And uh, it's fourth point, uh, his humility. The humility of John the Baptist is so worthy of us to follow, um, is worth following. I, I've been thinking about humility a lot in the last uh, three chapters. Uh, first, thinking about the life of Joseph, the father of Christ, like the humility, the trust in Joseph, just to hear from the Lord and obey, to take Mary and Jesus as an infant down to Egypt of all places. Just the humble trust that Joseph had in trusting in the Lord. Same with John the Baptist. In our passage, he said, after me comes the one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. Can you imagine humility? I mean, many people thought he was the Messiah, you guys. Talk about a celebrity pastor, right? So many people following. People were coming to him from all. Can you imagine the temptation to grab onto pride and be like, you know what? I am the man. No, it's not what we see in John the Baptist. There's no celebrity in him. Everything was like pointed and like, gee, I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals. The famous passage about John the Baptist from John 3, speaking of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. I think there's a cool little sticker on some cars I see. I think that's referring to John. He is greater than I, is that right? That, that's the reality. I mean, that's what we see in John the Baptist, humility on humility. And what was his ministry? His call was for people to humble themselves. He was a man full of humility and his call was for people to humble themselves. Um, and he knew that once Jesus appeared on the scene, once he began his public ministry, his work would be all but finished. His ministry, his work, when Jesus, when his public ministry began, we see nothing of John the Baptist again. He goes away, literally martyred for his faith by Herod the Great. Once Jesus began his ministry, John's purpose to herald the Christ was fulfilled. And his public ministry began with his baptism. Uh, and that's what we'll look at next. So some observations about Jesus's baptism that I think are gonna be really significant for us to, to see and understand this morning. So uh, verse 13, down to the end of the chapter, the baptism of Christ. Then Jesus came from Galilee, Galilee north, Nazareth north, through Samaria, down to, to Judea, through Jerusalem, over to the Jericho, to, to Jericho and to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, verse 15, really important verse. I would encourage you to underline it, put a box around it. We're gonna get some understanding about what Jesus says in verse 15 this morning. Jesus said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son 
whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Um, Jesus' baptism is really, really, really important. There are three um, things about, three stories about the life and the ministry of Christ that is recorded in every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Guess what one of them is? The baptism. The baptism of Christ is in every single gospel narrative. There are two others. One is feeding of the 5,000. And the last one is, anybody care to take a stab at it? The cross. The cross. So we have the beginning of Jesus's public ministry on earth in all four gospels. And we have really the ending of Jesus's public ministry on earth at the cross. And we have the feeding of the 5,000. Just a suggestion, if one story, and there's only three of them in all four gospels, lends me to believe we should probably dig in pretty deep to those three stories. If the Holy Spirit has led only three to be in all four gospels, those are pretty significant. And the baptism is one of those. So I wanna dig in deep with you with the baptism this morning. Let me make some summary points to the baptism. Three summary points about the baptism of Christ. Number one, it marked the change from the private life of Jesus to his public ministry. The beginning of his public ministry, his coming out party was his baptism. Secondly, it shows that God calls out our identity in him first, which then empowers us to do ministry second. So why do I say that? Because the, the proclamation of identity to Christ in the baptism is really significant. The father says three things. Hey, everyone, this is my son, and I love my son. And then he makes a statement, with him I am well pleased. Well, Jesus' public ministry hadn't even begun yet. And so God is giving him a declaration of, I am pleased with you, your being, your identity. And that truth is what empowers him to do ministry over the next three years, culminating in his, in his death and in his resurrection. I think that is really, really significant. Oftentimes, I think as people, we go, I need to do, I need to do, I need to do. And in my doing, I'll receive an identity from Christ and a blessing. And I need to do, and I need to do. And, and we get it backwards. The being is before the doing. I'm gonna tell you who you are. I'm gonna tell you who you are. And in that truth, you are empowered to now go and do in ministry. We see that in the, in, um, the life of Christ as well. Uh, point three, it shows us that Jesus came to identify himself with sinners to save them. John knew, he knew, he was certainly not worthy to baptize his own savior. The humility, like he's resistant to baptize his own savior. He rightly recognizes that the sinless son of God did not need to repent. So context, the baptism of John the Baptist was a baptism of repentance. Confess your sin, repent, right? Th that was the ministry. Did Jesus need to repent of anything? No, he's the sinless son of God. So why, have you ever thought about this? Why did Jesus be baptized in, in the first place? What's the whole purpose of Jesus being baptized? He didn't need to repent. 
There's nothing of him to change his mind about. There's no sins to confess. And here's how he answered, verse 15. He says, let it be so. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. John, we're gonna do this for righteousness sake. We're gonna do this because people need to understand that I identify with them as sinners because I am the savior. And I'm gonna identify with them at the baptism. I'm gonna identify with sinners who need to repent at baptism. And then I'm gonna identify with sinners again on the cross of Calvary because I am the savior and I have come to identify myself with sinners so that they might be saved. Uh, we, we know this is the new covenant truth in Jesus. It is this, a person is righteous, not by the law, but by faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone. Righteousness or right standing before God means that we are who God requires us to be. And we can't be who God requires us to be in the reality of the holy, perfect standard of the old covenant law. Would you agree with that? We can't fulfill the law. But righteousness, right standing, means that we are who God has required us to be. But no one can do that. So where is our hope? Well, Jesus does it for us. It is, it is so important, John, for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. I came to identify myself with sinners. Um, let me read a passage from you. I, I, I remember um, being in seminary and I was in uh, theology class and I remember my seminary professor saying this uh, to me and I, it, it stuck with me all, all these years. And he said, there's a paragraph in Romans three and I think it's the most important paragraph in all the New Testament. And that's his perspective, but I'm gonna read the paragraph to you. This is what uh, he, he believes is the most important paragraph in the entire New Testament scripture is helping us understand what Jesus means by it is fitting for me to be baptized so that I can fulfill all righteousness. It's Romans three verses 19 down to 22. And Paul says this to the church in Rome. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Why, how is every mouth silenced? Because no one can perfectly obey the law. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. No one will be declared righteous by his own doing. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Through the law, Galatians 3, Romans 3, we become aware of our need for forgiveness and salvation. Verse 21, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, big word, who believe. It is fitting John for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness I came to save sinners who need to repent and believe in the son of God and I'm going to identify with them at my baptism at the beginning of my public ministry and I'm going to identify with them again at the end of my public ministry on the cross of Calvary 
Jesus came to save sinners, to which I say, hallelujah. Amazing grace, how great the sound that saved a wretch like me. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us at the baptism, at the cross of Calvary, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God, so that we might have right standing with God. John, it is fitting for me to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. And in humility, John obeys and consents to baptize Jesus. And he comes up out of the water and there's this cosmic scene, this supernatural cosmic scene in this moment in the Jordan River and the heavens were opened and the spirit of God descends like a dove lighting on Jesus. Um, If you wanna do some digging around this, there is a lot of commentary on what was happening when Jesus was baptized and the heavens opened and the spirit of God is ascending and the voice of the father was being heard by people. There is a lot of things to read on this. I'm not gonna get into all of that today. What I do wanna point out about this scene is this. Uh, What is a dove a symbol of? Peace. A dove is a biblical imagery. It is a symbol of the peace that we have with God. It is very significant that a dove came out of heaven lighting on Jesus at the moment he was baptized. Now I wanna connect the dove from the story of John the Baptist to a really famous Old Testament story that also had a dove in it. What's the story? Noah's Ark. The, 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 the story of Noah's ark, um, God was judging. We know the story from Noah and the ark. God was judging all of the evil on the earth. And what was he judging the evil on the earth with? The flood, water. So water is a symbol of God's judgment to the evil on the earth. And once God's judgment had subsided, um, Noah gets a dove And the dove flies out, and what does the dove come back to the ark with in its mouth? An olive branch. Remember that, remember that, an olive branch. And he brings back an olive branch, and then Noah sends the dove out again, and then what what happens to the dove in the story? Doesn't come back, it's free. The judgment of the flood is over, and the dove is free to fly. Remember that, remember that. It meant that the judgment of water was now over. Now let's think about the dove in Jesus' baptism. Again, John, symbolizing the law, a manifestation of the law, baptizes Jesus, who is the new covenant reality of the grace of God. And to mark this transition from the old covenant of law that John is a manifestation of into the new covenant of grace, what comes down from heaven? A dove, which is a symbol of peace. Stay with me. The judgment of God based on the law was coming to an end in Jesus. And the new way of God's grace was here. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is right here. It's right now. 
He identifies himself with sinners at his baptism. He identifies himself with sinners at his cross. Go one day backwards with me for just a moment in the timeline. Thursday, right? Last Supper. He goes, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know what the Garden of Gethsemane is full of? What kind of tree it's full of? Olive trees. Ever made that connection before? Olive trees. I don't know if the cross of Jesus was made of olive trees, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the reality. It was, it's, I've been in the Garden of Gethsemane. Olive trees, they're everywhere. They're everywhere in Israel. In, in Jesus Christ, the, the, the dove brings back an olive branch. God's judgment, water judgment over. Jesus, Garden of Gethsemane, cross the next day. In Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. Ephesians chapter two, in Christ, Christ, he himself is our peace. God's judgment through the law was over for those who accept Jesus's free gift of salvation and now we are free to fly in freedom. For if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We have peace with God. John's baptism, preparing the way for the baptism of Jesus. It's different. It's important for us to understand that the baptism of John the Baptist is different than new covenant baptism. John the Baptist, his baptism was the baptism of repentance, preparing people unto salvation in Jesus. New covenant baptism was baptism with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the one I'm preparing the way for, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Here's what this means. Instead of having an outward law from the outside in, we have been given the spirit of Christ transforming us from the inside out. God has moved inward to our hearts by his grace and God has promised to put his spirit in those who believe, believe, believe. We are righteous by our faith, by belief. Ephesians chapter one, uh, go read Ephesians chapter one later. Uh, Paul says, those who believe in the name of Jesus will be seal, sealed in the Holy Spirit. You are sealed in the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit when you believe in the name of Jesus. Paul says in Romans two, that we have in us the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. In us. This is, this is grace, church, that we live by the spirit and the truth and the grace of Jesus. He came to set up his spiritual kingdom. Repent, change your mind, believe, follow. We just sang the song, like do, do we really believe his way is better or do we just like to sing songs about it? Do we really believe that what we see in the way of Jesus is the best for us? It is the way, the truth, and the life. And following Jesus as a disciple connects me in a way to peace and joy and righteousness and hope that nothing else in all the world can ever give us. 
Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from heaven, Jesus Messiah, Lord of all. I, I proclaim to you that Jesus Christ is the Lord. I didn't share this last, um, worship team, you guys can come back up. I didn't share this last service, but I feel stirred to share this with you guys. Um, I got to meet a friend a month or so ago. His name is Mark. And I got to meet him at a, a FCA conference that I was privileged to go speak at. And uh, Mark is a retired Navy SEAL and um, hero, hero. And uh, he was at this conference because they were taking us through the ringer, basically. They were putting us through misery at this conference. And uh, he was so hungry for truth. He was asking so many questions and we just engaged conversation. I invited him to come be at our man camp. He lives in Salt Lake City. And he got in his car and he drove here on Friday. Um, if he came in here, you would notice him. You would notice him because he has uh, tats on his hand across that says, good luck. Like I'm about to wreak my havoc on you. He's gonna worship with us soon here. He has a red grenade that's the size of my fist on his neck. Um, he's been struggling for 10 years with an identity crisis when he got out. And uh, I saw him talking to my friend Sloan last night. And I was about to tell him that, man, I, I gotta drive home and sleep in my own bed because I gotta preach twice in the morning and I, I got no sleep on Friday night. I'm like, I've got to get home and sleep in my bed or I'm gonna be fried. And so I was just like, hey man, I just, you know, he's like, you know what? I'm actually leaving right now. He struggles with insomnia. He forgot his medication. And he's like, I'm, just, I'm gonna go home and drive home right now. And then Sloan goes, hey, Swain, pray with us. Mark just trusted the Lord. He just prayed to receive Christ. And I looked at him and I was like, bro, that's why I invited you here. And we laid our hands on him and we prayed for him. God is still rescuing sinners. And I watched it happen last night. And if you don't know the Messiah, I proclaim that he is the savior of the world and he is the savior of your life. And it's just believing. All who call upon the name of Jesus, who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart will be saved. And I watched it happen last night. And if you don't know Jesus, I proclaim Jesus to you. He rose from the dead. He died for your sins. And in Christ, you have peace. Lord, thank you for this time together. I pray a blessing over my friend Golden and his new faith in Christ. We celebrate the transition from darkness to light and now he is a warrior for Christ. So I just pray that you would uh, connect him to a local church in Salt Lake City, some 
older men to mentor him, disciple him, put their arms around him. Lord, would you uh, bring healing? Would you bring healing to his mind, heart, body, soul, spirit? We celebrate as a church family, our new brother in Christ. We thank you for this time together to be hungry for the word and to now be thirsty for your spirit, to respond in gratitude and joy that you are the living God and that you look at us through the lens of love and you welcome us and you beckon us to come home and receive the fullness of your grace and to be empowered to reign in life because we are the overcomers. We are the more than conquerors. We are the sons and the daughters and your mercy and your mercy is more and your grace is more. Therefore, we can have peace in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.